What's so amazing about stories like that is watching the sustained life change. Tony encountered God years ago, but watching who he has become over time brings me so much joy just watching that story. He's a guy who I interact with on a daily basis, and he constantly reminds me what it means to have joy in Christ. I love this opportunity we get to hear real stories, and I love this opportunity that we have even in this room right now to create an experience where you get to worship God. There's people spread out all across this auditorium, just a few, all socially distanced, wearing masks. Masks. I want to say the word correctly. But what you need to know about this moment is that our team got together this week and we were like, okay, we've learned a lot about how to do church online. But let's not just film our gathering and get the songs and try to get the sermon right and then post it on YouTube Let's just try to loosen up and have a genuine and sincere encounter with God. So if I say a word wrong and I need to correct myself, I'm just going to do that in the moment. If I end up interacting with someone in the audience during the sermon, like my wife who's here, let's just go with that and have a moment together because let's be real, most of you are in your living room right now. Can you look around at the people that you're with, if you're with anyone, and just say relax. Just say relax in this way. Yeah, y'all say it to each other too. We're all going to chill for a second because it's pivot season at Auburn Community Church. Somebody say pivot, pivot, Ross Geller voice. We've been in a season where we've been talking about what it means to pivot and remain adjustable in your relationship with God. There's some things about following Jesus that are foundational. They're never going to change. Those things are Jesus died and rose again. He died for your sins and he rose again to give you new life in his name. You can have a relationship with your heavenly father by the power of the Holy Spirit. Your life does not exist for you. It exists for the glory of God and you find the fullness of what it means to be alive when you discover your identity as a child of God. Those things never change. That's foundational. That's the foot that's not moving. That's the part of our lives that we know to be true because the word of God has cemented it. But everything else, the details of how our story plays out on planet earth, it has to remain adjustable. It has to remain flexible so that we can continue to pivot and go in the direction that God calls us. And I've been so proud of our church in this season. So many of you have made pivots that you never thought you were going to have to make in your life. Some of you have moved to a new city. Some of you financially, there's been a pivot. Some of you in your career, there's been a total pivot in a new direction. And I believe our ability to enjoy God and fulfill the purpose he has given to each one of our lives individually depends on our ability to stay flexible, to stay moldable and go, God, wherever you lead, I might not have seen that coming and none of us saw 2020 coming, but I can follow you. And you know what? You're going to write a better story on the back end if I'm willing to just trust you and go with you. It's the season of the pivot. I've seen that in so many of your stories. I've seen that on our staff team here at ACC. We talked about just a month ago how our student ministry wanted to go to summer camp and they're gearing up to go to big stuff. It's like beach camp together with 1,500 middle schoolers and high schoolers from all over the country. And as you would expect, this got canceled very close to the time that they were going to be able to go and hopes were dashed. And I know for our student pastor, Tyler Miller, he was really disappointed. And I just watched how a group of people said, you know what, this isn't an opportunity to just sit and be dejected about the fact that plans were canceled. This is an opportunity to pivot and see God do something completely different. So we were able to pivot and we were able to take a small group of middle school and high school students to the beach and still pull off camp in a safe way. And God got so much glory through that moment because we were willing to go with the pivot. He's not the only one. Our ACC kids team, VBS, 
The thought of us not having vacation Bible school was just like, no, but it's going to be so difficult for us to do this the way we normally do. So you know what our ACC kids team did? Shout out to our director, Karen Snyder. You know what she did? She said, we'll pivot. We'll do three different smaller sessions of VBS. Think about this. Three different groups of kids starting at the age of three years old. One of them is my daughter. And so I know how hard this was to pull off this week. Three different sessions, three different days. We'll totally change the set. We'll make sure everything gets cleaned and everything gets sanitized in between. We'll all wear masks. We'll figure out how to do this. And they made the pivot. And God got so much glory through Vacation Bible School this week. It was amazing to watch. It was an, it's an amazing thing to be a part of this church. Well, for me, the pivot of the last four months has been in relation to this moment right here. Because I'm so used to us gathering on Sundays, and I'm so used to reacting to your facial expressions. I was so excited about us getting back together today because I was like, man, we're fi- I'm finally gonna be able to see people instead of looking at a camera lens and having no idea how I'm coming across right now. I can't see you. I don't know if you're that person who's super tired and needs me to do that thing that I do when I preach when I go, hey, look up here. You guys know why I do that? Because I see you yawning. It's because I see the people in the room who are about to fall asleep. I'm like, hey, look up here. And it's so funny because when our room is full, you just watch heads lift up and go, oh, wow, I, I had lost focus. Yeah, because our generation has the shortest attention span in the history of the world. And so I, I, I'm looking out and I, and I like to look and see, okay, how is this getting perceived and how is somebody taking this and I can tell when somebody's confused I can tell when somebody's excited I can tell when there's a few people who need me to elaborate a little more about a certain point and then most of all I can tell when somebody's super emotional because something's really personal for them as I'm saying it so I feed off facial expressions because a face can sometimes say more words than someone can say out loud you know this married couples you know this Every married couple listening to me right now, there are times where you're out socially or in public and your spouse can look at you in a way that can say an entire sentence. No, scratch that, an entire paragraph. There's times where we're out and my wife will give me this look that's like an entire book in my direction. And I'm like, oh yeah, I got that. Trust me, I received that. In fact, wherever you are, if you have somebody around you, just go ahead and make a face at them right now. Go ahead and make a face. Try to send them a subliminal message. And you know what's difficult about this is that everybody in this room is wearing a mask. And so as I'm watching them make faces at each other, it just looks creepy. It just looks weird as this is happening. I miss the ability to communicate non-verbally. Why? Because there's so much that can be said when you know someone's countenance. And I want to preach a sermon to you today in this season of our church that we're calling Pivot. I want to preach a sermon about the face of God. If you want to write down the title of this sermon, it's going to be called Seek His Face. Seek His Face. I believe there's something powerful about the face of God. And that's not to say that God is a human being with a face. Jesus, the Son of God, became fully man, fully God, died for our sins, raised to new life in heaven. But God is other. God is different. When we say seek his face, we're talking about seeking the countenance of God, seeking a relationship with God that's so real we can react to his disposition toward us. Psalm chapter 27 verse 8 says it this way. David wrote, my heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, 
I will seek. What David is saying in that psalm is to worship God is to seek after the countenance of God, to not just seek out what he is thinking or what he is doing, but seek out him for who he is. And I just believe today that for a church loaded with people who are in a season that they never expected to walk through, I think it would be more powerful for us today to seek the face of God than it would be for us to seek out what God might be thinking or what God might be doing. Because here's the thing, when something happens in your life that you don't really understand, our natural, natural temptation and tendency is to try to figure out what God is thinking or what God is doing. And so what so many of us do, and I know this is true about many people in this room who I know well, what so many of us do is we look to God when something happens that we didn't see coming and we go, I don't really understand what you're doing right now and I didn't know that was going to happen, so could you just let me in on what you're thinking? Could you just let me in on what you are doing? Could you just let me get clued in to your heavenly activity right now? But here's the problem. Once you go down that route, you're going to find things out in the scriptures like, my ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And so for so many of us, we go down that path and then we end up in a position where we go, okay, I can't understand what he's doing, but ultimately it's going to make sense to me. I can't understand what he's thinking about. I'm not really like him, and so I don't know. I just have to trust him. And I want to tell you today, yes, that's true. You do have to trust him. Yes, that's true. He's going to do things that don't make sense and take you down roads that you don't understand. But here's the good news. There is a part of him that he has made known to you, and he wants to make his personhood your pursuit instead of his plans. New plan. Pivot. Here's the plan. Stop making your relationship with God about the plan. He's responsible for the plan. Start making your relationship with God about the person. And when we seek the face of God, there's a pivot in our pursuit. Last Sunday, we talked about pivoting our perspective, and I'll never see the same. Today, I want to talk about pivoting our pursuit to pursue who God is instead of pursuing what he's thinking or what he's doing that we don't understand. If you have your Bible, hold it up. Hold it up all over this place. Hold it up, church. This side with a lot better Bible attendance than this side. It's because there's a lot more single people on that side. But if you over here, and uh, I just want to keep the Bible drill up, and I want to keep it as real as we possibly can. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 55. We're going to look at the very verses I just quoted. Isaiah chapter 55. Here's what's crazy. I believe this word is supposed to go out today to so many people individually, but I also am so excited about the fact that this word might be exactly what someone needs three months from now. And they might encounter this video at a much later date and be looking back going, this is exactly what I needed to hear from God. So it's so beautiful about this season. And so what I want you to do, I told you to share this with somebody else, but I want everybody at some point today, would you subscribe to our YouTube channel so that you can continue to stay up to date, not just with sermons and gatherings, but with a lot more content that we're going to be putting out in months to come. I just believe God wants to use technology in such a fresh way over the course of the next few years. And I want our church to be ready for that. Isaiah chapter 55, I want to give you a little bit of the context. Isaiah is written in a very dark time period of Israel's history. They're about to be taken into captivity in Babylon. In fact, that actually happens over the course of these writings. 
And for 70 years, they will be enslaved, they will be mistreated, they will be maligned. There will be many things that are about to happen to Israel that are not good. And Isaiah is called to prophesy this judgment against Israel. But here's what's so crazy about the way Isaiah is laid out. The first 39 chapters of Isaiah are all about God's judgment against Israel for their sins. And so when you read through the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, you're going to find a lot of things that make you uncomfortable. You're going to find a lot of things that you look at and go, wow, I didn't know that. Why is this happening? Well, first of all, Israel has been disobedient against God for multiple generations. If there was a way for me to calculate and articulate to you right now what all went wrong for multiple different generations, I would not have the time in this sermon. But 39 chapters of judgment are followed by 27 chapters of mercy. And Isaiah chapter 40 is a pivot point, you like that? A pivot point of Isaiah where God says, comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Why is that important? Because Isaiah is laid out the way your Bible is laid out. Do you know there are 39 books of the Bible in the Old Testament and 27 in the New Testament? Do you know the 40th book of the Bible is Matthew? Just like the 40th chapter of Isaiah is where God says, I'm here to give you mercy. I'm here to do something new. Well, Isaiah chapters 40 through 55 are all unpacking how God is going to be merciful to his people in the midst of a very, very, very dark season that just by the way, they thought was going to be less than a year and it went on for 70 years. So you see a lot in 2020 where we're like, okay, this is going to be over soon. Okay, we're going to move on from this. Okay, things are going to go back to normal soon. And God just continually seems to be telling us things are never going back to normal. That's very similar to the message they were getting Back in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 6, you're going to see this extension of mercy, this invitation from God that I believe is going to speak to us today. Somebody say, seek his face. Seek his face. Isaiah 55, verse 6. If you're there, say, I'm there. Reading from the ESV today, the English Standard Version, because it's time to pivot. Here we go, church. Like, whoa, he's gone crazy. Headset and ESV. I know. Pivot. Seek the Lord, this is so good, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Powerful. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. I want to just... just Give a thorough look at these verses for just one second. Verse 6 talks about the idea of God's mercy being on a time clock. And it's important anytime we talk about the abundant grace of God that we make it known to everyone listening right now that God is available in this moment. But if human beings harden their hearts, continue to disobey and forsake the invitation of God, that offer of mercy will turn into an extension of judgment. And that is what makes the call so urgent. Isaiah says, seek God while he may be found. Like, call upon him while he is near. What's the inference there? It means the clock will run out. And you will not have an opportunity to seek God the way you can right now. So do it right now. Listen, every time we talk about the grace of God at ACC and we talk about how unlimited it is and we talk about how unmerited it is, all of that is so true. But you need to understand if you have breath in your lungs right now, it's available to you, but it will not always be so. And I feel like a lot of us have grown a comfort level with the grace of God that causes us to put off returning to him. And I just want to warn you, if that's where your heart is, be 
careful. God is God, you are not. Do not test the Lord, God cannot be mocked. Call upon him while he's near. Seek him while he may be found. I love this. Let the wicked forsake his way. Every return to God has to include a forsaking of the patterns and ways and thoughts that you used to hold on to. And we skip this. We talk about returning to the Lord, but we need to include in that there is a direct relationship between your forsaking of what you were doing and your invitation into the new relationship with Jesus that you have today. And Isaiah is announcing to Israel, God's available. His mercy is being extended to you right now. Do not waste this opportunity, but it will include you forsaking the ways and the thoughts and the patterns that you have been living in. Let him The unrighteous man, let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Abundantly pardon. That's why I'm reading ESV. Because the NIV translation of that is weak sauce. It says, I just said weak sauce. It says God will freely pardon. It makes it seem like God's in the sky, like just handing out free passes on whatever. I like abundantly pardon, and it reflects the Hebrew much better. It means for whatever, for however big the pile of sin that you are carrying in your return to God. Our God is so compassionate. Our God is so gracious. He's so good. He doesn't just pardon in a small way. He abundantly pardons. He goes, all of that paid for, all of that done away with, forgiven. God's grace is abundant. And if you're carrying a weight of sin today that you just can't believe with one sermon that God would say abundantly pardon, not like all the sins that were acceptable and then that secret stuff that nobody else knows about and then that part of you that only your family knows about and then that part of you that happens between your ears that only you know about. No, when he says abundantly pardon, he means I include all of that in my grace. I include all of that in my mercy. Our God is a God of abundant grace and he wants to abundantly pardon his people. It's scandalous, incredible. And then watch this, Isaiah chapter 55, verse eight. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I would assume that anybody who grew up in church who has spent any time around the Bible, you've heard this verse quoted. Even if you've never been to church before, you're probably like, oh, I've heard somebody say, God's ways are not our ways. God works in mysterious ways. We've all heard it. But what I want you to notice today is the context of how it was said when it was written. Because every time I've ever heard that verse quoted or every time I personally have ever taught on this verse, it's been taught from the angle of God's sovereign providence over the universe that we need to trust, which is true. God does have sovereign control. He does provide in ways that are mysterious and he does need to be trusted even though we can't understand him. That's true. That just has nothing to do with what Isaiah is talking about when he pens the words. Scripture is so beautiful when you see it in true context. And when I saw this sitting on a beach with my wife last week, I literally turned to her and was like, I've never seen this before in my life. I've never noticed this. Did you know Isaiah chapter 55 verses 8 through 9 about God's thoughts being above our thoughts and God's ways being beyond our ways? Did you know that that's not about God being different than us? It's about how 
available God is to us in a way that will never make sense to our minds without spiritual eyes to see. That's what it's about. As high as the heavens are above the earth. That's a Hebrew phrase. It's only used twice in the Bible, right here and in Psalm chapter 103. You know what Psalm 103 says? As high as the heavens are above the earth. That's how much love our God has lavished on us. You know what the next verse says? As far as the east is from the west. That's how far God has separated us from our sins. The context is not when God does something you don't understand, just sit back and go, okay, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. We'll never understand him, but we got to trust him. No, the context is God will abundantly pardon you for your sin if you return to him. And then God wants to hit pause and go, I just want you to know, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. You can't even believe how gracious I am to extend that type of compassion and mercy toward you. But I just want you to know, however you handle your relationship with human beings, I handle my relationship with my creation in such a way that could not be further away from your reasoning. Human beings use reciprocity. How people treat us leads to how we treat them. God wants you to know, I am never going to treat you how your sins deserve. If you come to me, you will be treated with abundant pardon and grace and mercy. And just when you think I'm seeing that rightly, he wants to stop you and go, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. I'm not just forgiving you and love you despite your sin. I can forgive you and see you without your sin as the perfect son or daughter I've created you to be. You got to see God the way he sees you. He's trying to get us to see his face. He's trying to get us to understand his natural disposition toward us. And the heartbeat of what I feel like God wanted me to tell you today is this. God's disposition toward us in the midst of his sovereignty is what frees us and gives us joy in the middle of whatever is happening. It's God's disposition. It's his countenance toward us that is supposed to comfort us when something happens that we don't understand. So here's what I'm saying, church. Here's what we do. When something happens that we don't get, instead of going, I don't understand and God, I trust you and I'm waiting for you to show me how this is all going to play out. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. It could be a part of it, but make it your main pursuit to seek his face and understand that when I draw close enough to who God is, I no longer need an explanation of what he's thinking or what he's doing. I've got him, which gives me all the peace that I need to trust his heart because his ways are not my ways. His thoughts are not my thoughts. His thoughts about me are higher than I could ever dream. And if he cares about me that much personally in a love relationship, he will see me through in the plan for my life missionally. This is how you go through seasons trusting God. You got to pivot your pursuit. You got to take your pursuit from God, what are you doing? Show me the plan. God, please show me how this plays out to make it your pursuit, a worship of the God of the universe and go, God, I want to see your face. I want to know you personally. I want to react to what you really say about me. And if what you say about me is so different than what I would assume about me, show me your thoughts. Let me in. And here's the good news. God's going, I have here you go. Here's, here's my thoughts. Here's my ways. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 10, the very next verse says, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but after the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be 
that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Why is the very next verse about how the word of God never returns void? What does Isaiah say? He says, listen, when God says something, it always accomplishes its purpose. Just like when rain falls, that doesn't do nothing. That grows something naturally. When the word of God falls on your heart and life, its effect on you is to transform your ways and your thoughts. Seek his face. The only requirement of you in this context is that you forsake the way that you were going and come back to where God is. Now, this is 800 years before Jesus, but we read the Bible through the lens of the gospel, the message of the Son of God. What do I believe Isaiah 55 is really about? I believe it's really about Jesus. And I believe it's really about the opportunity you and I have to come to him and return to him today. But here's the thing. This message about radical grace that we preach at ACC, this message about how God loves you no matter what, is powerful. My concern is that many of you have misunderstood it. I'm going to be so real with you guys. Since March, a lot of people have come to know Jesus who wouldn't have come to know Jesus if it wasn't for everything that happened. We've heard those stories. We've gotten those emails. We're ready to celebrate those baptisms. And please, God, open a door for us to do that soon because it's going to be awesome. But I want to be so honest with everyone in this room and everyone online and tell you that not only have a lot of people come to Jesus who wouldn't have come to him if this didn't happen, a lot of people have walked away from Jesus during this season. And a lot of people who are not even watching this gathering right now because they checked out of church two and three weeks after this crisis hit. And I believe one of the problems with our human understanding of radical grace is that we start to believe that we have a license to do whatever we want morally and spend as much time walking away from Jesus as we want that we get so comfortable living apart from Jesus that it's not even clear whether or not we know him. And for many of you who have walked away, I just want you to know God's abundant pardon is exclusive to those who would come to him. Your role is faith. Now, that doesn't mean you even play a part because saying, I believe that you did everything doesn't really make you a decisive contributor to salvation. It just means you did it all and I agree. But if you continue to go your own way, that's unbelief. When John Calvin, amazing reformed father of our faith, he wrote this out in his commentary on Isaiah 55. He said, God is infinitely compassionate and infinitely ready to forgive. Infinite. I love that. Like, no limit. Infinitely compassionate, infinitely ready to forgive. So that it ought to be ascribed exclusively to our unbelief if we do not obtain pardon from him. He's saying God's so ready to forgive that the only thing that could keep you from being pardoned by God is your own unbelief. And so as many of your, being many of your pastor, I don't know how I want to say that. I'll rewind it. Many of you consider me to be your pastor. Many of you who are just checking us out online, so welcome to continue to do that. But many of you trust me to spiritually lead as a voice in your life. I just want to tell you, 
deciding for yourself to go your own way morally, to do whatever you want in your relationships, to do whatever you want in regard to how you use substances, to do whatever you want in how you talk and what you watch and what you eat and how you relate to people. Your capacity to do that is not a season of backsliding that you just need to blink at or not take seriously. You're living in unbelief. And I lovingly want to tell you, you have a God to call Father who has called you to seek his face. But you staying in the midst of the path that you're on could very well may be revealing the fact that your heart is not aligned with your heavenly Father. And I don't say that today to scare you. I say that today to wake you up. There are people who didn't know it, but they were relying on gathering in a church building every week to fix their faith. In fact, when our staff team got together this week to pray, one of our staff members prayed something so specific. He said, God, I pray for those who we didn't even realize it, but doing church every week was putting a Band-Aid on a gaping open wound. And so for many of you, church on Sundays was just the opportunity to get enough of a spiritual fill to make it to the next Sunday and still feel like a Christian. And this season of being separated, this season of not being able to gather has exposed that. And I just want you to know today, seeking the face of God is not dependent on our ability to gather thousands of people in this building. Seeking the face of God is the personal responsibility of every single person who would call on the name of Jesus. And so maybe in this season... God is waking you up to the fact that it's not a pastor or a band's responsibility to make sure they usher you in the presence of God every day. You are a child of God. You have a Bible. You have the ability to reason. You have the ability to think. God has been gracious. God has pardoned you. God has made himself available. But call on the Lord while he may be found. Seek him while he is near. That time is now, church. God is near. God is available. Don't harden your heart to this message. Don't make yourself go, I'll get to that when I get to that. You do not know when you will breathe your last breath. And carrying a heavy heart from families that I've been talking to and situations that I've been close to, I just want to tell you today, God has extended a pardon your way. There is nothing that he will not include under the blood of Jesus. You got to come. You got to draw near. And then the question becomes, how do I do that? I was thinking about that this week. I was like, all, all Christianity really is, is coming to Jesus. Remember Matthew chapter 11, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, like it, it all boils down to, will you come to the only one who has life, to the only one who can provide what you really ultimately need? I think where we get mixed up a lot of times, we go, okay, I want to come. How do I do that? And we hear things like, okay, well, you need to read your Bible and you need to apply it to your life or you need to learn how to pray. We need to get you in a small group and get you discipled and all that stuff. That, that's great. And that needs to happen. But I wanted to say it today in the most simple way I can possibly get it across to you through a screen. When I wrote down this sentence this week, I was like, oh my goodness. I believe this could speak in a powerful way and provide a brand new framework for how you seek the face of God. I'm going to read it to you. Receive this. The fastest way to seek the face of God is to get on your face before God. The fastest way to seek the face of God is to get on your face before God. 
I don't know what's stopping you from coming to Jesus today, but I know there's a part of pride within my heart that causes me, when God is calling me closer, it causes me to just keep going through my days and keep going through my work schedule and keep going through my responsibilities as a dad and all the things that I do, knowing that God's calling me to come to him. And I can be so arrogant and so prideful that I go, I'll get to that when I get to that. And what God is doing is going, it is only going to get worse. You need to fall before me. And I mean this spiritually, but somewhat I mean this physically. If you're sitting here today and you're going, how do you seek the face of God? Remove your face from the equation. Not with a mask, but with a heart bowed. And sometimes it takes putting your face to the ground to remind yourself of the simple fact that you are not God. And as you bow before God, there's something so amazing that happens when you transfer everything about the way you've been doing your life lately and the way you forsake your old ways is by going, God, I'm tired of living this way. I'm tired of being self-sufficient. I'm tired of just trying to make it through the day. Here you go. Here's my attitudes lately. Here you go. Here's my words lately. Here you go. Here's how I've been lately. Here's my thoughts lately. You see all my thoughts? It should freak you out and make me so nervous to stand in front of you and talk about God knowing that God reads my mind. You're like, you see everything I think and you love me? Maybe you should bow before him and go, I give you everything you know about what's been going on here. I give you all of that. Even though you already knew, now I give it to you. And you know what God will give you in return? pardon, compassion. He knows that we are but dust. And then as you sit on your face, as you look to the word of God, you know what happens? His ways become your ways and his thoughts become your thoughts. And all of a sudden there's a transfer where God's disposition toward you becomes your disposition toward the world. So when you seek the face of God and you see that God's not mad at you and you see that God's available to you and you see that compassion is his heartbeat toward you, there's a a transition that happens literally for many of us on our faces where we're not cold and hard-hearted anymore, where we're not just trying to make it through the day with a tired look, where all of a sudden we're awakened to the people around us and the purpose for our lives and the joy and the peace that's available. And now you go out of the presence of God and you're going, this is a brand new reality. I sought the face of God and now my face looks different and my ability to face what I face looks different. Listen, that's how God wants you to face uncertainty. That's how God wants you to face the breakup. That's how God wants you to face getting fired. That's how God wants you to face your own failure. He doesn't want you to face it going, his ways are not my ways. His thoughts are not my thoughts. I don't understand. Maybe I'll understand later. No, he wants you to seek his face and go, I'm different because I know you. I've been with you. And I walk out different than I walked in. The fastest way to seek the face of God is to get on your face before God. And this is how the passage ends. For you, Israel, shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. This is huge. Please receive this. Isaiah says, if you return to the Lord and you replace your ways and your thoughts with his ways and his thoughts, you're going to go out with joy and peace. 
just want you to feel this. He's talking about going out from captivity in Babylon. I don't know what you're going through right now, but it wasn't as bad as this. It just wasn't. He's saying one moment in the presence of God, turning your heart and aligning yourself and seeking the face of who God is gives you a brand new ability to go out and you can have joy and you can have peace with zero in the bank account. You can have joy and you can have peace as you go to a funeral that you never thought you would be attending at that, in that time period. You can have joy and you can have peace as you go to the hospital. You can have joy and you can have peace as you don't know whether or not your kids will ever turn back to Jesus. You can have joy and you can have peace. Why? Because you've got a heavenly father who's delighted to have you in his presence and who has made peace with you through the cross and the blood of Jesus. This is how it works. So what do we need to learn how to do? What do we do? Seek his face that's what we're going to do right now we're going to sing a song about seeking the face of God we've never sung it in the history of our church at least I don't think we have Matt have we we have not and it's about thirsting for God and wanting to have a glimpse of his glory more than you want to have an explanation of the story I hope that as the band sings this you might just sit and watch You might be standing in a living room worshiping with your family. I don't know what this looks like for you, but I want you to receive this as a moment because they are not coming up here. You guys go ahead and come up. They are not coming up here to sing a song for you. They're not coming up here to perform for you. They're coming up here to seek the face of God for themselves because I know everybody on this stage, they wanna have an encounter with God more than they wanna play a song. And so more than you maybe have a desire to click off and go do what else you had to do with your day, maybe more than you have a desire to just watch this song and pass the time, can you take this time to seek the face of God? Can you take this time to bow your heart before God again and return to him and go, this is where I've been lately. This is what I've been thinking about lately. I have missed it completely, but I wanna come back to you in this moment. That's what this time is for. And as we say together, You say to us, God, seek your face. Our heart replies, Psalm 27, your face we seek. Maybe God could do something above our expectations and above our plans today. Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that as we sing right now, as we take this moment together in this room, I pray that somehow supernaturally what happens in this room would translate through a screen And that as we call on your glory to fall here at 323 Airport Road, that you would just explode through computers, through homes, through everywhere this gathering is being shown. God, help us to be seekers of your face more than we are seekers of your plans. Your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. Thank God. Thank you for not thinking the way I think. Thank you for not doing things the way I do things. And I'm sorry for the ways I've given lip service to your sovereignty and said, well, he's doing something I don't understand and I don't really get it, but it'll make sense later. No, help us no longer do that. Help us see you being above us and other than us as the greatest thing in all the universe. Thank you, Jesus, that you don't think the way I think. Thank you that you don't relate to me as my sins deserve. Thank you that today you're available. God, I pray for those people in our church, specifically the college students who have fallen away from you since we've been able to gather together every week. Help them to receive this word and these songs today, not as judgment, not as condemnation, but as an invitation from heaven to come back. It's not too late. 
God, remind them that if they're still breathing, you're still calling. We love you. We sing only to you right now. And we fall on our faces before you because we want your face to shine upon us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.